This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of radius and ulnar shaft fractures from the trauma section on orthobullets.com. Radius and ulnar shaft fractures are also known as both bone forearm fractures. As far as the epidemiology, both bone forearm fractures are more common in men than in women, and the ratio of open to closed fractures is higher than for any other bone except the tibia. With respect to the mechanism of both bone forearm fractures, these usually occur from either direct trauma or indirect trauma. Direct trauma often occurs while protecting one's head, while indirect trauma occur from things like motor vehicle accidents, falls from a height, or athletic competition. The two associated conditions with both bone forearm fractures to keep in mind include elbow injuries and compartment syndrome. With respect to elbow injuries, always make sure to evaluate the DRUJ and the elbow for Galeazzi fractures and Montasia fractures, which are two fracture types that we'll discuss in more detail in another podcast. With respect to compartment syndrome, obviously always evaluate compartment pressures if there's a concern for a compartment syndrome. With respect to the prognosis of both bone forearm fractures, functional results depend on restoration of the radial bow. Again, with respect to prognosis of both bone forearm fractures, functional results depend on restoration of the radial bow. Now, let's go over some relevant anatomy. We'll start with the osteology, and the important thing to know here is that the axis of rotation of the forearm runs through the radial head proximally and the ulnar fovea distally. The distal radius effectively rotates around the distal ulna in pronosupination. Now, let's talk about the interosseous membrane, which occupies the space between the radius and the ulna. The interosseous membrane is composed of five ligaments. The central band is the key portion of the interosseous membrane to be reconstructed. The other ligaments include the accessory band, the distal oblique bundle, the proximal oblique cord, and the dorsal oblique accessory cord. Again, the central band is the key portion of the interosseous membrane to be reconstructed, and the other four ligaments that make up the interosseous membrane include the accessory band, the distal oblique bundle, the proximal oblique cord, and the dorsal oblique accessory cord. As far as the classification of both bone forearm fractures, you can either use a descriptive type of classification or the OTA classification. As far as the descriptive classification, you want to describe whether the fractures are closed versus open. You want to describe the location, whether it's comminuted, segmental, or multifragmented, the amount of displacement, the amount of angulation, and rotational alignment. The OTA classification for radial and ulnar diaphyseal fractures has three types type A, type B, and type C. Type A has three subtypes. Subtype A1 is a simple fracture of the ulna, subtype A2 is a simple fracture of the radius, and subtype A3 is a simple fracture of both bones. Type B also has three subtypes. Subtype B1 is a wedge fracture of the ulna, subtype B2 is a wedge fracture of the radius, and subtype B3 is a wedge fracture of both bones. And finally, type C are complex both bone fractures. With respect to the presentation of both bone forearm fractures, symptoms may include gross deformity, pain, swelling, and or loss of forearm and hand function. On physical exam in these patients, you want to inspect for open injuries and make sure to check for tense forearm compartments. The neurovascular exam is extremely important, so make sure to assess radial and ulnar pulses and make sure to document median, radial, and ulnar nerve function. Pain with passive stretch of the digits should alert you for an impending or present compartment syndrome. 
Again, pain with passive stretch of the digits should alert you for an impending or present compartment syndrome. With respect to imaging, recommended views on radiographs include an AP and lateral view of the forearm. Additional views include an oblique of the forearm for further fracture definition, and ipsilateral wrist and elbow films are useful to evaluate for associated fractures or dislocations. Remember that the radial head must be aligned with the capitellum on all views. This is an important point to remember, so I'll say it again. The radial head must be aligned with the capitellum on all views. Now, let's talk about the treatment for both bone forearm fractures. This can be either non-operative or operative. Non-operative management involves a functional fracture brace with a good interosseous mold, and the indications for this option is an isolated, non-displaced, or distal two-third ulnar shaft fracture, also known as a nightstick fracture, with less than 50% displacement and less than 10 degrees of angulation. Again, the indications for non-operative management of a both bone forearm fracture is an isolated, non-displaced, or distal two-third ulnar shaft fracture, otherwise known as a nightstick fracture, with less than 50% displacement and less than 10 degrees of angulation. As far as outcomes for non-operative management for these indications, union rates are greater than 96%. However, remember that these are acceptable to fix surgically due to the long time to union. Moving on to operative management, there's a few different options here. You can do an open reduction and an internal fixation without bone grafting. You can do an open reduction internal fixation with bone grafting. You can do external fixation or intramedullary nailing, and we'll talk about the indications for all of these now. As far as an open reduction internal fixation without bone grafting, this is indicated for displaced distal two-third isolated ulnar shaft fractures, proximal one-third isolated ulnar shaft fractures, all radial shaft fractures even if non-displaced, both bone forearm fractures, and gastillo types 1, 2, and 3A open fractures can be treated with primary open reduction and internal fixation. As far as the outcomes, again, the most important variable in functional outcomes is to restore the radial bow. As far as an ORIF with bone grafting, cancellus autograft is indicated in radial and ulnar fractures with bone loss. Other indications include bone loss that is segmental or associated with open injury, as well as non-unions of the forearm. External fixation is indicated for gastillo type 3B and type 3C open fractures. Intramedullary nailing is indicated for poor soft tissue integrity. However, this is not preferred due to lack of rotational and axial stability and difficulty maintaining the radial bow. Keep in mind there is a higher non-union rate with intramedullary nailing for both bone forearm fractures. Now, let's talk about the technique for open reduction and internal fixation in a little bit more detail. We'll talk about the approach, technique, and postoperative care briefly. With respect to the approach, an open reduction and internal fixation of a both bone forearm fracture is usually performed through separate approaches due to the risk of synostosis. With respect to the radius, you can do a Voller-Henry approach to the radius or a Dorsal-Thompson approach to the radius. A Voller-Henry approach to the radius is best for distal third and middle third radial fractures. A Dorsal-Thompson approach to the radius is best for middle and proximal third radial fractures. With respect to the ulna, a subcutaneous approach to the ulnar shaft is usually utilized. With respect to the technique, 3.5mm DCP plates is standard using an AO technique. Longer plates are preferred due to high torsional stresses in the forearm. Locked plates are increasingly indicated over conventional plates in osteoporotic bone and in bridging comminuted fractures. Bone grafting using a vascularized fibula graft can be used for large defects and have a lower rate of infection. 
With respect to postoperative care, early range of motion should be utilized unless there is an injury to the proximal or distal joint. Patients should be managed with a period of non-weight bearing due to the risk of secondary displacement of the fracture. Now, let's end this review session on both bone forearm fractures talking about complications. So there are a few different complications to be aware of, and these include synostosis, infection, compartment syndrome, nonunion, malunion, neurovascular injury, and refracture. And we'll talk about each of these in a little bit more detail now. We'll start with synostosis, which is uncommon and has an incidence of 3 to 9%. Synostosis, like we mentioned earlier, is associated with an open reduction internal fixation using a single incision approach. Heterotopic bone excision can be performed with low recurrence risk as early as four to six months post-injury when prophylactic radiation therapy and or indomethacin are used postoperatively. With respect to infection as a complication, there's a 3% incidence with open reduction and internal fixation. Compartment syndrome has an increased risk with high-energy crush injuries, open fractures, low-velocity gunshot wounds, vascular injuries, and coagulopathies like DIC. Non-union commonly results from technical error or use of intramedullary fixation. Atrophic non-unions can be treated with 3.5mm plates and autogenous cancellous bone grafting. Malunion has a direct correlation between restoration of the radial bow and functional outcome. Neurovascular injury is usually uncommon, except in cases of a PIN injury with montasia fractures, and when utilizing a Voller-Henry approach to access the middle and upper third radial diaphysis. Neurovascular injury can also be seen in type 3 open fractures. And if you do have a nerve injury, you will typically observe these for three months to see if nerve function returns. Otherwise, you'll explore it if there's no return of function after three months. Finally, let's talk about the potential complication of a refracture, which has an increased risk with removing the plate too early, using large plates like 4.5 millimeter plates, comminuted fractures, or in cases of persistent radiographic lucency. Make sure you do not remove plates before 15 months. That's an important number to remember, so I'll say it again. Do not remove plates before 15 months. And if you do remove the plates, make sure you make the patient wear a functional forearm brace for six weeks and protect activity for three months after plate removal. That's all for this review about radial and ulnar shaft fractures. Hopefully that was helpful. Look out for questions related to this topic on this weekend's question session, and hopefully this episode will have prepared you for that review. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on iTunes. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.